I wonder if you can imagine what it would be like uh, for Sydney to be invaded. Uh, for a foreign country uh, to attack. Say it attacked at night while we were unsuspecting. Uh, the harbour bridge has been destroyed. You can't cross the harbour anymore. The opera house is on fire. Uh, even weeks afterwards, after the invasion, Sydney is just a wasteland. Uh, people you knew, uh, perhaps friends or even family, have been cut down in the street. Their blood flowing into the gutters. Their bodies just being left around on the road for dogs to chew on and birds to peck at. Uh, the new nation uh, has very different values to our own values. Uh, they're not a democratic nation. In fact, uh, they have uh, a dictator. Uh, there are no human rights anymore. Uh, in fact, Australians are enslaved by this new nation. Uh, the home that you've been saving up for has now been seized. Uh, it now belongs to someone else. And all the money in your bank account is now worthless because the Australian dollar has itself become worthless. And no one came to help. Our allies uh, couldn't risk nuclear war with this nation. And terrorists around the world rejoice as they see our country burn. I wonder how would you feel if that happened? Uh, this, of course, is fiction, but the following psalm that we just heard read is not fiction. Uh, and throughout uh, this talk, I'm going to be referring to the psalm and going through it in order. So if you want to look down at your Bibles now, in verse 1. Oh God, the nations have invaded your inheritance. They have defiled your holy temple. They have reduced Jerusalem to rubble. They have left the dead bodies of your servants as food for the birds of the sky, the flesh of your own people for the animals of the wild. They have poured out blood like water all around Jerusalem, and there is no one to bury the dead. We are objects of contempt to our neighbours, of scorn and derision to those around us. This uh, psalm is a prayer in response to great evil. Uh, this is a real event that you can read more about in the uh, end of uh, the book of 2 Kings. Uh, it's a time when uh, Babylon, a nation, has gone and attacked and taken over the land uh, of Israel where Judah was. Except this wasn't just an attack on the author's people, uh, but this is actually an attack on God himself. If you look back at those verses, verse 1, they have invaded your inheritance, God's inheritance. They defiled your holy temple. Verse 2, dead bodies of your servants, flesh of your own people. This isn't just an attack on the author's people. This is an attack on God himself. 
And unlike the attack on a, a fictional attack on Sydney, this is actually an attack on the Holy Land, uh, God's land that he gave to his people, in fact, where he dwelt. He even dwelt in the temple in this land. Except the situation isn't so straightforward, and we quickly learn this in verse 5, the next verse. How long, Lord, will you be angry forever? How long will your jealousy burn like fire? See, this isn't just uh, evil people attacking them. We soon find out that the reason why this is happening is because God is angry. God is angry with his people. God has actually caused this to happen. You see, on one level, uh, on a kind of human level, uh, this is just evil people invading, attacking. It's warfare, coming, destroying, looting, uh, which, which unfortunately happens in our world today, doesn't it? So on one level, this is just human warfare. But you see, on a higher level, it's also God judging his people for their sins. Uh, because God peop- God's people had started worshipping other gods, and God was judging them for it. And so there's two levels here, but both are true and both are real and both are happening at the same time. In some ways, this is evil people doing evil things, but on another level, this is God judging his people. So in response to this awful situation, uh, what does the author pray for? Well, the author prays for God to redirect his anger off of them and onto the enemy instead. Uh, Read verse 6 with me. Pour out your wrath on the nations that do not acknowledge you, on the kingdoms that do not call on your name, for they have devoured Jacob and devastated his homeland. The author asks God to, instead of judging them, to put his judgment on their enemy instead. You see, in some ways, the enemy is the greater evil. Uh, Yes, God is judging his people, and and they did do wrong, but at least they try to follow God in some way. At least they know there's a God and and declare that there is a God. Uh, At least they do worship in the temple somewhat, even if they're imperfect. Whereas the people that are attacking are completely godless. Uh, They do not know God, they do not care about God, and they destroyed his temple. So while, yes, uh, the people of Israel in some way deserve this punishment, at the same time, the enemy is kind of the greater evil. And so the author asks God to redirect his anger onto them instead. But is it right to pray for judgment? Is it right to pray for God to judge other people? Well, I think there's a few approaches you could possibly take with this psalm. A few different approaches in terms of how we understand this psalm and understand this author praying for judgment on other people. Uh, The first way we can understand it is we could understand it as ungodly. Uh, So we could think of this psalm as an ungodly example of prayer, an example of an ungodly prayer. 
And now this, this wouldn't be uh, too far removed um, because in the Bible there are uh, bad things that happen and there are bad examples in the Bible. So this could, could possibly be one of them. Uh, but I think the pro problem with this approach is that it doesn't really fit the genre. You see, every other psalm seems to be modelling for us uh, appropriate ways to pray to God and sing to God and praise God. Uh, almost most of the 150 psalms seem to be modelling us righteous, godly behaviour. And so if we decide that this particular psalm or a couple of psalms similar to it are ungodly, then that's not really fitting the genre, is it? Uh, and we can't just exclude uh, books that we don't like and that we're not comfortable with. Uh, so, so firstly, I'd suggest that this isn't necessarily ungodly behaviour in the psalm. Uh, the second approach you could have is thinking of it as uh, maybe it was godly back then for the Old Testament people to pray, uh, but now that we have Jesus, now that Jesus has come, uh, we shouldn't pray for judgment on other people. And, and there's some good points uh, for this, this kind of perspective, uh, because as with any Old Testament book, we have to read it in light of the New Testament, right? Because uh, things have changed with Jesus, right? Uh, and, and there's some things that aren't the same for us in this psalm. For example, in verse 1, where it talks about your inheritance, which is the holy land, and your holy temple, uh, well, obviously that's not the same for us, is it? Uh, this church isn't the temple, it's totally different uh, to, to back then. Uh, yet we still apply Old Testament principles. Uh, we still believe the Old Testament has a lot to teach us, and so we still apply principles uh, that, that can carry over to our time. And so I think a principle from this passage would be responding to extreme oppression, extreme violence, especially against God's people. Uh, so perhaps a principle that would carry over would be the persecution of Christians, the violent persecution of Christians. And in that case, this psalm is modelling for us how to respond to that, to pray for judgment. And Jesus himself draws his own principles from the Old Testament as well. In fact, his two most famous commands, love God and love your neighbour, are both from the Old Testament. Uh, he didn't make them up himself. Actually, he was just affirming what was taught in the Old Testament already. And so if we're going to decide that this is now ungodly behaviour for Christians, we need a good reason to decide that, right? Uh, and, there, and there are some, some passages that you might think gives us those reasons. Uh, I'll, just, I'll just address a couple uh, to start. So, for example, in Matthew 5, uh, Jesus tells us, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbour and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So rather than hating your enemy, we're supposed to love our enemies, is what Jesus teaches us. Except the thing is, uh, here, Jesus, as I mentioned before, is affirming an Old Testament command to love your neighbour. But it seemed like some people had been adding, uh, love your neighbour and hate your enemy. So Jesus corrects that, that misunderstanding of the Old Testament, and says, no, 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 it's love your neighbour which includes loving your enemy. So Jesus is correcting a misunderstanding here. And indeed, he's 
it's absolutely right that we, have, we should love and do good things to even our enemies. We should be kind and gracious even to our enemies. But I don't think this uh, hating your enemy is the same as praying for judgment in this psalm. I think they're two different things. Uh, because if, for example, um, when I hear in the news uh, of someone who's done a horrendous crime, uh, say the common one in the media at the moment is child abuse, uh, and I hear that they've been caught for this and they got locked up in jail, I'm thankful that they've been caught and I'm thankful they're being punished for it uh, because I desire justice in this world. I don't think that's the same thing as saying I hate them. Can you see the difference? I desire justice, but I don't think that means I hate those people. I think there's two different things going on here. Uh, so, so that's one passage, but another one that you might be thinking of at the moment, uh, Matthew chapter 7. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. Now, at first glance, this seems pretty clear, right? Do not judge. Uh, in some ways, it can't get clearer than that. Uh, but as with any passage in the Bible, uh, we need to look at this in context, right? Uh, what's the thing Jesus talks about immediately after that? Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. Uh, the kind of judgment I think Jesus is talking about here is about being a hypocrite. Having sin in your own life that is sometimes even more substantial than the sins of other people that you're pointing out. And what does Jesus tell us to do? Well, he says, first take the plank out of your own eye and then remove the speck from your brother's eye. He doesn't say, don't do anything. He says, first deal with your hypocrisy and then you'll be able to deal with other people's sin as well. And I mean, if you're going to take do not, ludge, do not judge to the uh, literally, then that's going to have a huge impact on a lot of things in your life. Uh, if you're a parent, you won't be able to tell your kids off for anything because you're, you're not meant to judge, right? You can't tell them that they've done something wrong. Uh, if someone does something really bad in this church, if there's abuse in this church, well, we can't judge them, right? Because Jesus said, do not judge. Of course, we shouldn't take this literally, and the kind of judgment Jesus is talking about here is hypocrisy, I believe. So if you're still with me, uh, I'd say in conclusion that the kind of judging that Jesus forbids is not the same kind of judging that's happening in the psalm. Uh, it's two different types of things. And perhaps the most substantial difference is that in this psalm, you are asking God to judge. Whereas when Jesus forbids judging, he is forbidding us from judging, not God from judging. So this psalm isn't calling for us to judge people. It's calling for us to pray for God to judge people. Big difference. Uh, if you have any questions about this, feel free to grab me afterwards. I know it's a tricky passage. Uh, so if you're still with me... Um, I don't think we can necessarily say this is ungodly behaviour, even for us today. So then you might conclude that this is godly, uh, so that we can 
pray judgment on other people whenever we like. Well, again, you have to read the Bible in context, right? Uh, What's the context of this passage? The context is extreme violence, murder, warfare. And in response to that, the author prays for judgment. I don't think uh, this can necessarily apply to the guy who cut you off on the road or took your parking spot. Uh, I don't think we should be calling down judgment on them. Uh, Rather, this has to be put in context. Uh, The times that we see in the Bible of people calling and praying for judgment are usually in very extreme circumstances. Uh, And for example, you don't want to fall into this trap as well that Jesus Jesus even rebuked his disciples for. In Luke chapter 9, Jesus is traveling with his disciples and, and they come across some people and the people there did not welcome him. The disciples asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them because it wasn't appropriate in that situation, right? Uh, People have called down fire from heaven uh, before in the Bible in a more appropriate time, and that's recorded elsewhere, that's why they say it. Uh, But Jesus rebukes them because it's not appropriate in that situation. All right, so to conclude, uh, I think that this psalm, the way we should understand this psalm is that praying for people to be judged can be godly in some situations, okay? Some situations. Uh, I'm going to come back to this more uh, later, but I just want to push through the rest of the psalm so we can get more insight into what this psalm is talking about. Actually, I'll come to that verse later. All right, so if we push through, uh, verse 8, we're up to now. And the author has just been praying uh, in response to this awful situation for God to judge his enemies, he now turns to him and his own people. And instead of praying for judgment, the author asks God to forgive. So verse 8, Do not hold against us the sins of past generations. May your mercy come quickly to meet us, for we are in desperate need. Help us, God our Saviour, for the glory of your name, deliver us and forgive our sins. For your name's sake. As I mentioned before, this, in some ways this is evil people doing evil things, but on another level, this is God judging his people. And so the psalmist knows, the author of this psalm knows, that if this oppression is going to stop, it's not about getting a bigger army or getting more strength to fight back. If this oppression is going to stop, then their sin needs to be dealt with because God's anger is upon them and it needs to be lifted. And this is actually a part of the psalm that's a really good example of something that's not necessarily transferable to today. Uh, The reason for that is this psalm is dealing with a period-specific, a very specific judgment at a very specific time. Uh, This is when God was judging Israel and they went into exile and he later brought them out of that. So there's a very specific judgment going on. Uh, And we don't have specific judgment like that today. Uh, We do have one that's told about, but that's when Jesus returns. Uh, It could be today, uh, but um, literally today. But 
Obviously, it's not applicable for our, our everyday situations right now. Uh, there is a specific judgment coming, but that's when Jesus returns. Except the thing is, the forgiveness that this author is dying for, asking God to forgive them for, is a present reality for us today. Uh, it's not like back then. Uh, in, in Romans, Paul writes in chapter 5, since we have now been justified by his blood, Jesus' blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? See, while this author had to plead for God to forgive their sins, that is actually something we know we're free from right now. And so it's not transferable to our context because we're already forgiven. God's wrath has already been lifted off us because of Jesus. We no longer need to doubt our relationship with God. We still need to take sin seriously, but we no longer need to fear God's wrath because of Jesus. Uh, fear it like this author did. All right, we now come to the final uh, section of the psalm where the author returns to pleading for God to judge his enemies again. A final call for justice, verse 10. Why should the nation say, where is their God? Before our eyes, make known among the nations that you avenge the outpoured blood of your servants. May the groans of the prisoners come before you. With your strong arm, preserve those condemned to die. Pay back into the laps of our neighbours seven times the contempt they have held at you, Lord. The author gives this final call for justice. Uh, if you're wondering about the seven times, payback seven times bit, uh, seven is a number often used in the Bible to mean completeness. So I think that's probably what the author is saying. Pay them back completely, not necessarily excessively, but completely. And the author prays for God's judgment to come soon. Verse 10, may it come before their eyes uh, right now. Except he doesn't just pray for his own sake and his own people's sake. He's not just concerned about their own oppression. He's actually concerned about God's own reputation as well. Because when God's people are getting smashed, all the other nations are looking and going, huh, their God wasn't so powerful after all, was he? In fact, their God isn't even saving them. I guess he's not a powerful God after all. And so the author pleads to God for the sake of God's own reputation to deliver them so that people would know that he is God. And so I return to the question I raised earlier in the talk. Can you pray for judgment on other people? I think the psalm says yes. It's not denying salvation. It's not saying, may they be eternally condemned, even if they wanted to live in Jesus, may they still die forever. You're just responding to the situation. People are doing evil, may they be judged, because that's what God does to evil. You're not saying, may they eternally be condemned forever. You're just asking God to be who he is, a God who judges sin. That is part of God's character. You're not dealing with the judgment yourself, you're handing it over to God for him to deal with it. 
And if you've ever longed for the day Jesus returns, uh, for the day Jesus returns and we get resurrected to eternal life, then you've also been longing for the day God is going to judge the world and judge those who haven't turned to Jesus. So it's actually something we've always been longing for anyway. Uh, just in case you're curious, uh, this, this author isn't alone. In the New Testament, there are not many, but some instances of God, people praying for justice as well. In 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 16, at the end of Paul's letter, Paul writes, If anyone does not love the Lord, let that person be cursed. Which is what is going to happen if they don't turn to Jesus before they die, right? Uh, another example, um, Revelation chapter 6. This comes from Christians who have already been killed for their faith, and they cry out, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? And they're not rebuked for saying this. Rather, they're told, wait, wait a little longer until Jesus' return. In other words, God is going to do this, but they just need to wait a little longer. So how do we respond to extreme evil? Whether it's murders, rapes, abuses, terrorism, and especially against God's own people, persecution against Christians. Well, one option that is open for us is that we can pray for judgment. And if they do turn to Jesus, amen to that. But if they don't, judgment is a fitting response. Uh, this is a kind of common thing I've heard sometimes said in advocacy groups for persecuted Christians. So there's some organizations that support persecuted Christians, and this comes from their website. Scripture never tells us to pray for persecution to stop or end. Right? Scripture never tells us to pray for persecution to stop or end. Well, this psalm is scripture, and this psalm is a prayer for persecution to not only stop, but to be judged. And the courage of persecuted Christians is admirable when they don't turn to revenge, but they love their enemies. But they still have the right to pray for an end to their persecution. They still have that right. And the final verse of this psalm, we get an end vision of peace with God. Uh, verse 13. Then we, your people, the sheep of your pasture, will praise you forever. From generation to generation, we will proclaim your praise. It's an end vision of peace with God, free from oppression from enemies are living in a right relationship with God and it, for it to never end. So in conclusion, uh, hopefully this psalm won't be applicable directly to us. Uh, hopefully you're not in a situation where you're extremely oppressed. Uh, many of us are not in that situation. And I certainly wouldn't want anyone to use uh, prayer for judgment 
uh, in a wrong way, to misuse it. Certainly don't do that. Uh, but some of us may find ourselves in situations of extreme oppression and violence. And many of our overseas brothers and sisters are in that situation right now. And this should inform our prayers for them. In fact, praying for judgment is an antidote to taking revenge ourselves when we're oppressed. Paul writes in chapter 12 of Romans, Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. Rather than taking revenge ourselves, leaving it to God. And praying for that is simply affirming what God has said he'll already do, and he already does. So we're in this funny situation where uh, we, we want heaven, uh, the end, the resurrection, eternal life, uh, to come sooner uh, and later at the same time. We want it sooner to put an end to evil, uh, for God to judge the world and make things right. But we also want it to come later, so that more people can be saved. And the thing is, both of those are godly responses. Both are godly responses. Let me pray for us. Dear God, I thank you uh, that you are just and that you have set a time to avenge your people. Uh, please be with those who are persecuted right now Help them persevere and not give up. Uh, may everyone have the chance to turn to you and be saved, and may they do so. Uh, but for those who do not, we trust that you will judge them accordingly to your will. Amen.